Hello and welcome to a new episode of Dear Ruby, a podcast where we are listening to your personal finance questions, your personal finance problems, especially during this coronavirus pandemic. A lot of Canadians uh, have lost their job. A lot of Canadians have had their hours reduced. And many Canadians are just worried about what the future holds for them economically. So every week we have been meeting to talk about the stories of the week and some problems that have emerged this week that are unique compared to the weeks before. Every week there is a new benefit to talk about. There are new ideas that the government comes up with of how we can manage our money and uh, how we're going to move forward. Uh, I wanted to bring in Bo Humphreys, my host. How was your week, Bo? The week was good. You know, uh, sort of a regular, another regular week. Uh, no big incidents. Uh, I still have my job. I can work from home, counseling people through video. Um, you know, I, but what I do see is more people who are uh, affected by this. It's it's the same story, right? There, there's always a couple of options. Either you still have your job and you're essential, so you're working, uh, you know, nothing's changed for you, but the world has changed. Or you are working from home in a different capacity, so you still have your job, but you're never leaving the house. And that part of it has changed, or, or you've lost your job completely, so you're on EI, or you, you got qualified for the CERB. Um, very few people I've talked to have fallen in the cracks, uh, through the cracks, but some have, and, uh, th- that's the, that's the tough part, right? Cause, uh, some people don't fit into these categories. You know, Bo, you're an insolvency counselor, so you're on the ground hearing these stories firsthand. I'm a journalist. Obviously I am talking to people always, but I don't have that access that you do. Are you finding that people are getting more and more concerned about their economic future? Are you getting more and more people coming to you for your for your help? Well, in terms of coming in to file for bankruptcy or consumer proposal, um, it's it's a very interesting situation right now because the courts are closed. So you know, a lot of times people would come in uh, and meet with a, a, a insolvency trustee because their wages are, are being garnished or they're, uh, you know, somebody's uh, calling them or taking them to court. Maybe a lot of that's not happening right now. Also, the other thing is if you sign up uh, uh, for a bankruptcy or proposal, a proposal is a five-year uh, term. Uh, uh, bankruptcy can be uh, anywhere from nine months uh, on, depending on your situation. And we don't know what's happening. So, you know, we're, or if people want to talk to us, we're like, you know, come on in and talk to us. Or talk to the trustee um, and look at your situation. But a lot of the times it's like, hey, uh, the best option might be to wait. Or if something is urgent, then we'll put them through. But it's more about uh, when everything sort of opens up again, that's when there might be a bit, bit of an influx. Um, but, uh, you know, what I'm seeing for our existing clients is that, you know, people are coming in and they just don't know. Like we, we try to talk about, okay, let's make a plan for you to get, you know, through this to rebuild. But how do you make that plan when you don't know what's going to happen in the future? At least like we never know what's going to happen in the future, but at least we have an idea that it might be the same or, you know, your job, you might be able to keep your job, uh, you know, instead of, if no emergency happens. But we just, we don't have that ability right now. 
Right, right. And um, one of the things uh, that we have been talking a lot about, the way that people are getting them, themselves through this, uh, this through this period, is taking advantage of emergency benefits. There's been so many announced by the government, but I think by and large the most popular one and the one that's got the most amount of uh, press is the Ca- uh, Canada Emergency Response Benefit, or CERB, as people are calling it, CERB. As the CERB. Well. The CERB, I've heard it called that as well. <laughs> Um, so we have talked a lot about how the CERB has become uh, more widely available to more Canadians. Of course, we know that freelancers, self-employed, those people who don't have a record of employment, all can apply for CERB as long as they can say or show that they have lost income due to COVID-19. So that could be you had to leave your job to take care of someone with COVID-19 or you yourself came down with it or your job shut down because it was not an essential service and you are out of work, but you um, work in, a, in an environment where maybe uh, you are a contract worker or a freelancer, so you don't get that regular uh, paycheck where you could now go and apply for EI. So now you're applying for CERB, getting that $2,000 every four weeks, up to 16 weeks between the time of March 15th and October 3rd. And I just want to reiterate that CERB is not an automatic 16-week payment. You have to apply every four weeks and say that for the last 14 days, you have received no income in order to get it for that four-week period. And then the next month, you've got to do that again. So if you were able to go back into the market and get some money, make some money doing whatever it is that you do, uh, you could skip a month and then go on and, and apply for CERB uh another month where you need it more. And you can also make $1,000 collecting CERB. So that's great. So somebody that's who... That's new. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody who um, gets $2,000 every four weeks could also make $1,000. And so $3,000 may be enough for you to pay your basic costs, uh, especially in bigger cities where rent and, and cost of living is much higher. Uh, maybe in smaller cities, the 2000 would be more than enough to get by. Uh, but one of the problems, Bo, is that the, the application for CERB is quite simple. And many people mm-hmm. have applied for CERB, whether they've answered the questions honestly or not, that is not clear. But there is now a, a concern that many people who have applied for CERB, so 7 million Canadians have, that many of them don't actually qualify for it. Some of them are um, living on disability benefits. Some of them are living on senior benefits. Uh, some of them uh, didn't uh, didn't quali- meet the qualifications, but still answered the questions in a way so that sh- it, it showed that they did and they're getting the money anyways. And this is causing two problems. One is that next year, uh, when you file your taxes, uh, you are going to be asked why you applied for for, for the CERB if, if you were making money in those months. And secondly, some of your government benefits that you've been receiving anyways could be clawed back. So those are two things that are happening in tandem uh, that could really be devastating financially to some people. So um, I think the message really is, is that be careful when you apply for the CERB and don't lie about anything on the application because that immediately is going to give you a result that maybe doesn't correspond with your situation. Well, you know, we were saying, because I thought that this questionnaire or whatever they have, you know, the application w- was one of those things that would exclude people who didn't qualify, right? You answer the questions correctly, you either qualify or you don't. It seemed like a simple thing. So we're like... Sending people there saying, like, you know, you don't want to qualify, but at least, you know, apply and answer, answer honestly, and, and the, it'll tell you. But it seems like people are either, I mean, there are people who are taking advantage of this, as there, there will be no matter, but it, it's a, you know, probably a small percent. But other people might be answering um, incorrectly without even realizing it. 
uh, then, you know, if they're on something else, they might be able to answer the questions correctly, but then they, they're not saying that they're getting the other thing that disqualifies them. And they may not even know, honestly. And I, I'm honestly a little surprised that the application, I know they were trying to just set it up to push people through, but th- they're setting people up for a, a bit of a financial disaster in the future. So if, if, any, if, if you've ever been on EI, the application is quite complicated and it's pretty yeah. full on. And so in comparison to that, even I, I didn't obviously go through and do the whole application because I'm not applying for CERB, but the application seemed quite easy. And um, you know, anecdotally speaking, uh, on social media, I've been reading that people say it's really easy. Some actually thought that it was a fake site because it was too easy. <laughs> and um, a lot of people are, are now saying that get, they get the money within 72 hours. So CERB is doing what it's supposed to do it's making things easy for the people that need the money and it's getting the money into their yeah exactly it's great that it's getting the money into the accounts when they need it but it is creating opportunity for those people who may not qualify to take advantage of it because according to government officials anyone who applies for CERB gets the money they're going to figure out the problems later and so even if one or two percent are taking advantage of this 35 billion dollars that the Canadian government is giving out that is hundreds of millions of dollars that could be spent, uh, could be given to people when they did not need it. And that's a big cost for Canadian taxpayers, because that's where this money is coming from. So I think that's what, uh, you know, this this CBC article talked to an actual CRA uh, employee who, who remained anonymous. But that's what they were trying to trying to highlight, that they're taking the actual calls from people who are not taking this seriously, who are asking questions like, is there any loopholes for me to get this money? So there obviously is a certain amount of Canadians who are hearing how easy it is to get the CERB and applying for it because they think, why not? $2,000 every four weeks sounds like a great deal. Well, you know, if you think about the past, right? So if you were self-employed and you lose your income, there's nothing for you, right? There, There's nothing that exists. You know, EI, uh, employment insurance is for people who get a T4, get a, you know uh, payroll deductions and pay into EI, um, you can opt into EI as a self-employed person, but a lot of people do not do that, right? Because it's optional. Uh, it's one of those things where when this happened, everybody was like, well, I don't qualify for EI, so what am I going to do? And so anything like this is great, right? Um, but you know, there are still always going to be people who don't qualify if you didn't work at all. If, you're, if you just happen to not be working, but you were just about to start working, I don't know. Did they come up with some, something uh, they, they did for the seasonal workers, right? Like if you were a student or someone who's just about to start seasonal work, you can still get some relief. Yes. Yes, they did come up with uh, there is there is benefits for them. And there's also uh, for those people who are on uh, parental leave, uh, whether it's maternity okay. leave or, or paternity leave. Um, if it ends during this time and your job is not available because of COVID-19, you may qualify for the CERB. So, I mean, for sure, the CERB is quite a wide net. It's really capturing anyone that doesn't fall under the EI system uh, to make sure that they have some money so that they can pay their basic costs. Um, I did want to sort of pivot to the EI system because a lot of people who do qualify for EI, so those people who've been paying um, EI premiums while they've been working, now they've been laid off or their hours have been reduced, many of them are, are saying that because of the pressure on the phone lines for C- the CERB that they are unable to get through to the officials to ask questions. Their money isn't coming through and they're sort of, they're sort of falling um, uh, into the cracks because mm-hmm. um, 
those who qualify for EI would go through the normal channels and those normal channels are not getting the attention they normally do because all of that attention is on people who are confused about the CERB. And so the, there was a story of a young lady who's been waiting since March 15th for her uh, for her EI payments and she's been told she can't apply for the CERB. That's actually quite clear on the website that you can't apply for both. And so she's now in this holding stage where she's just waiting for some money to come through so that she can, because she's been laid off due to COVID-19. And um, she, I mean, now it's May. I mean, it's almost been, well, it has been almost uh, two months. And uh, that's a long time to not be able to access any money and uh, rely on your savings. Well, and we just had this, uh, we had this idea and this, this uh, thought or uh, uh, communicated to us uh, by the government. I it was in my head anyway that, oh, don't worry. If you applied for EI and you're caught up in the system, you're automatically pushed over to, to the CERB. And I thought that that was just a thing, but apparently uh, there, it's not automatic or it wasn't uh, before a certain date. Is that, is that what we're, we're finding out from this situation? Yeah, they make it quite like uh, clear on their website that, you know, if you've applied for one, you don't have to apply for the other. And from yeah. what I understand is that they want Canadians to collect CERB. Uh, when that runs out, then they can take advantage of their EI, uh, EI um, uh, benefits. So and what happened to this person then? So sh somehow she has she has not received the money. So this happens, you know. Technical problems happen all the time. I guess um, so, and yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I, her her um, grievance is, is that she's unable to get through to anybody. She's called, I think she said 53 times or something and been on hold yeah, for hours at a time. And that's wow. a long time. So normally, you know, if you apply for something, it's just like anything in the world, and it doesn't happen the way you're supposed to, you'd call the 1-800 yeah, number. Yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. And then they're like, you. oh, yeah. yeah, we forgot to click this box for you. It's, sometimes it is that simple, right? Or we didn't have the right birth date for you, or we didn't have your latest address. Something, it's always something pretty mundane, but it just needs and, to be fixed on the other end. Yeah, normally it could be probably easily fixed, and, and uh, you know, even if you had to reapply, you could do that, and you the queue wouldn't be so long. It's, it's just... Uh, multiplied uh, in this situation right the queue yeah. is longer the 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 it, it takes longer to call in the queue is longer the process is harder there's more um a volume so people aren't getting to it as quickly it's just a and bit it of seems a nightmare like the resource the resources are really put uh, put being put towards the serb questions because that's where there is more confusion definitely yeah, of course about that um, you know, this week, a uh, lot of provinces have started announcing that they're going to reopen. Um, I want to actually say that, say that much differently. They're going to start to ease restrictions yeah. on certain jobs. So it is absolutely not reopen. It's more some things that well, were not that's essential. That's misleading, right? Yes, like yes, reopen. I, I, I think people are taking it as that. Like as soon as somebody said the word reopen, you know, Alberta or, or New Brunswick, you know, everyone's frolicking out on the streets as if they, it was uh, everything didn't happen. Right? Yeah, and that's not what they mean. Right? No, not no, not at, at all. all. No yeah. one's going back into their office building and going back to their computer to do their work. That's that's not happening, uh, not in a safe way anyways. Um, these are mostly jobs, um, you know, if you look at the Ontario example, these are mostly jobs that are done outside. So lawn care and landscaping services, garden centers and nurseries. You know, I selfishly was very happy that the garden centers are opening up because I feel like this is this is the summer that I'm going to really rock it as a gardener. <laughs> I, I know it sounds um, Baking terrible. bread and garden. Gardening, yes, right? Yes, Anything I know. you can do, like the inside the house, <laughs> even wanting to do, but it's still going to be curbside pickup type thing, right? 
Uh, I don't know. I know that the, some of the major uh, grocers, they have their garden centers open. Maybe they might have it just as like they do their, their regular grocery store. Like people have to follow the arrows and just, just sort of make their way. Marketing yeah, and keep things your six. Like that. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, for those people who, um, who, who are out of work and, uh, maybe, looking for something to do gardening can be a very economical way to pass your time that's just my two cents uh well, you know, often like you on, can... yeah i mean on that note the the some people if you're on the serb it's they're 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 fine they're paying for their costs uh it's just a waiting game right so yeah one of the things right now is boredom you know, to, mm-hmm. you know, there's some people who don't have any money and hopefully they're covered by, 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 uh, the emergency benefit or by EI. Fine. They can't do anything. can't go outside. Some people are working and super busy. Like you and I are, our lives are busier because of uh, children mostly and being at home. And, you know, it's just a busier time now anyway, if you still have work. Um, but then yeah, there's the opposite end. You might still be okay with money, but now you're like, uh, I can't make any more bread. That's, I'm, <laughs> So gardening, that's a, it's, a, it's a nice sort of mental health uh, thing, right? Yeah, I think gardening is very good for our mental health. It forces us to be outside. If you have a balcony, you can do a, you can do a box on your balcony. Um, it, it helps if you have children. It helps them learn how, where food comes from. If you do plant fruits and vegetables. Mm, I, like I understand this comes from a p- position of privilege. Like I have a space to of garden. Course. And I have the means to get to the gardening store to buy. Um, and so I don't want to offend anyone by saying that, oh, I'm going to spend the next couple of weeks gardening. But um, for those who can um, uh, afford it, uh, you know, doing a little bit of gardening, I think is really good for your mental health. Well, just, you know, on that note, the, there's a lot of things that we're going to say that um, won't apply to certain people. Like, like, like I said, some people are getting the service. Some people aren't. Some people are just surviving during this time. Um but yeah, maybe there's an option for you to just you know uh, plant some seeds or you know learn about uh, gardening. You know, I, I'm I'm not a, a horticulturist myself. I'm not a, a gardening fan. My my wife is way better at that uh, than I am. I just never got in- interested in it. Right. Um, right. But I I can you know I can see that it's a very calming thing, and it doesn't have to cost that much, does it? Um, well, if, especially if you go from seeds, right? So um, because most of us don't really think about planting our gardens until the long weekend in May, even even beyond mm. that, because there's no uh, risk of frost after that. Um, but if you wanted to in your home, just by using some, you know, cartons that you get your start food in, the seedlings the you inside. can start the seedling and mm. seeds are very, very cheap. You can buy them. They're sure. quite cheap. Yeah, and you just need some some good good soil, and you need some seeds, and you can watch them grow. You can put them in a sunny window, so that's just a just a way to to sort of do something that maybe you don't have time to do when when um, when you're normally working. And, I didn't want to get to I did well, want to get to the other yeah, go provinces. Ahead. Yeah, go ahead. yeah. Go ahead. Talk we're talking a lot about we could talk about seeds all all day. <laughs> yeah, I just find it very soothing for some reason. It is but yes, very of course, soothing. Yeah. Other provinces are are actually doing different stuff than we are. Yeah, so um, in some in, in some cases, what's happening is that the provinces are allowing uh, you know restrictions to ease, but then cities themselves are doing different things. I know in Toronto they are easing some restrictions on use of uh, play areas, not the playgrounds where the kids go on, but the grassy areas. Okay, um, you know, and that's the same in Manitoba. Uh, amenities such as playgrounds and golf courses are going to open on Monday. I think this really does speak to the fact that a lot of people don't have outdoor space, and this is where they need to be in order to 
get some fresh air, get some exercise. Sure. Um, and by putting everybody on the sidewalk, that in and of itself might create a problem, especially in a city like Toronto, where if everyone's just walking on the sidewalks, if you live in a in a densely populated neighborhood, um, you might actually be coming within six feet of people constantly because there is really no other choice. Um, so the reopening plans, I say again that with a, with a, with a, yeah, a lot of understanding. Yes, yeah. the big asterisk, exactly. Um, really, you know, my pers- personal opinion is, is that the rhetoric coming out of the U.S., which is so much push to reopen, has really um, prematurely gotten our governments to think about reopening. I don't think that we would even be thinking about this if we weren't really? hearing what we're hearing from the U.S. I think that a lot of this, there's no reason for golf courses to open. In yeah, my there really isn't. And it, even though we talked about gardening, there's really no reason for garden centers to open, right? I mean, there's no... They're all nice things. They're all yes. nice, but they're not, not essential. They're yeah. nice to have. Yeah. And I mean, and they can, you can still buy material for your garden outside of the garden center. I mean, most grocery stores and other places have those materials already available and they're already following those strict protocols to make sure people are, are staying safe. Um, you know, by adding in, you know, a new nursery opening up now, all of a sudden this, you know, and th- that company will now have to learn how to keep their customers safe. Whereas mm-hmm. the, some of the stores who are already doing it for them to add in a, some gardening material is very easy. So I, I think a lot of this, uh, you know, it's in, it's in our psyche. Like we're always hearing about it from the States. And so there is, I think, a push. I was really surprised to hear that even anything is opening on Monday um, in any province because it feels like we're just at the beginning of the peak um, with the numbers that we are seeing. I mean, we're still seeing uh, more cases every every day. We're still seeing more deaths every day. Um, it just feels a little premature. On Twitter, I... Uh... I've been following uh, this guy. I won't. I won't name him. I don't remember his name exactly. Anyway, but he was on Obama's um, like staff, uh, like head of health, you know, or health risk or whatever. He's you know he's pretty high up there, right? So every, a lot of people listen to this guy, and every day I think he's a doctor or he works in immunology in some way. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, when he has like a five five minutes or ten minutes, like before he goes to sleep for two hours and starts up again, I'm sure like a lot of frontline workers are doing, he tweets out um, just what's going on. And he was saying something about uh, all this reopening. We won't find out until June. We're not going to find out how this went until June because of the the delay, right? You can have it. Uh, and not not know and then you can be asymptomatic for the whole time too and be in contact with a bunch of people and we won't know that till later either so it's like okay let's see how it goes and like i'll be watching from inside my window i don't right it's one of those things where um how, how are they making these decisions yeah i mean i there is pressure from the public even here in canada and in ontario to open. I mean, the, if you even just look at how much debt the government is going into now, the federal yeah. de- deficit they're they're um, they're forecasting could balloon to two hundred and fifty-two billion dollars. To put that in perspective, um, it was expected that this year, without of course COVID nineteen, that the deficit mm-hmm. would be twenty-five billion dollars, so oh, ten wow. times. Uh- Okay. What more debt? So imagine you thought you were in a hundred thousand dollars debt, but you're actually in a million dollars <laughs> debt. If you want to put it into perspective of an individual, um, so it is. It's going to be a big, deep hole that they have to that we have to that we have to as taxpayers uh, get ourselves yeah, out I of. Yeah, guess so, it all comes on us, right? 
Right. So I, I'm, sh- I'm sure governments are are also uh, wanting people to get back so they can start paying income tax again. They can start doing things that actually bring revenue to the government rather than taking uh, government benefits. Um, you know, I, I also think that there, again, going back to the states, that there is this sort of uh, we're getting a lot of influence from people who are saying things like, well, I don't want to sit at home and collect government benefits. And I don't think that's what this is. This is you not know. sitting at home and collecting government benefits because you're too lazy to work. That's not what this is. This is not public a- health. This is public yeah. health. And public health is different than I've got, I've been laid off and I can't find a job or I'm, I have a, a, I have some sort of issue and I've lost my job. It's a very different situation. Yes. It's very different. And so when, when people say that and I see these protesters, uh, that, that Doug Ford called, Premier called. Yahoo. A bunch of yahoos. <laughs> when I see them, you know, I, my message to them is that this is public health. This is something we have never, ever faced before. Yeah. And I think, I think because, and we've talked about this, I think previously, because we're a society that's so technically connected, we're so much more modern. We just feel that the problems of, you know, the 1918 flu pandemic could never affect us. And yeah. this is really a wake up call that we are affected as any other generation before us by public health emergencies. And this is another public health emergency. And, um, the best thing you can do is just follow the rules so that you can get back to your old life and go get your haircut and your hamburger or whatever else it is that you miss. It's, yeah, I mean, th- those are the major reasons I need to get now. Okay. I, I don't understand this a lot. I, last year I didn't get a haircut for a year and a half. You know, it's like, I, <laughs> that's not important to me. So when everyone's like, I need to get my roots done, you know, that one um, clip from the States where, you know, she's like going out and, and protesting and shows everybody her roots. Um, that's not a reason to me. I, I don't, I can't really sympathize with that. It's so cosmetic. But is this a mental health thing that I should be acknowledging too? People need this to feel normal and enjoy their life. Am I being uh, ignorant about this? You know, I don't know, because I'm really in your camp. Like, I feel like just suck it up. Like, you won't get your roots done for a little while. You won't get your nails done. And so this is another thing that I'm noticing is that a lot of people are getting very, very creative and figuring out how to figure how to fix this on their own. And that this could actually be a detriment to many hair salons and nail salons, because already a lot, especially men that I know, have cut their own hair. And they're saying, why would I go to the barber? I can just do this myself. And it's cheaper and easier and faster. Um, you know, maybe go once every six months just to kind of get a good haircut and then yeah. keep, keep, keep the haircut going for the rest of the time on our own. And so many, uh, many of these services might notice that some of their customers might be like, Oh, I've been doing it on my own. I think I'm okay. I think I might actually just try to save money and, and continue to do it this way. So, uh, it's going to be a big to- shift, right? Like, yeah, the, the it's the, I'm thinking of the two things, right? The one thing is uh, contact with somebody, uh, like actual having to touch them to do something, and then it being not uh, like a luxury. So it's it's not essential. So like uh, tattoos, right? That's that's probably a good example. Like I mean, we need to get our hair cut more than we. Nobody needs a tattoo, right? I mean, right. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. I don't. I can't think of any situation right now. So th- they're going to be hit hard. I feel by this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There, I mean, there's so many, like we've talked about this again before, where there's going to be people who just simply can't afford it. So they're going to say, I'm just not going to that luxury, you know, hair yeah. salon anymore because I can't afford yeah. it. I've got myself into debt. I got to get out of it. There's going to be the other camp that says, I figured it out. I can just do it on my own once in a while. I don't need to go there and pay for the services. And the other one will be, I don't still don't feel safe. 
I still don't feel safe being that close contact with with people in public and I just want to minimize my contact with people that closely because I don't want to get sick. Even if there is a vaccine, there is going to still be a group of people who are afraid of what else yeah. is out there and could I still get sick? Absolutely. So I don't uh I know this week um I don't know. I, I don't know if you followed it, but C.D. Howe Institute declared a recession in Canada, which is pretty unusual to declare it without actually getting the data from uh, StatsCan. Uh, in, the in the first quarter of the the year. Is that so what they said is, too? yeah. So normally, what the definition is is that there are two uh, quarters of negative growth, so or mm. two quarters where the the economy contracted, which it did in the first quarter, January, February, March. Okay. Uh, but we haven't got the data yet for April, May, and June. No. But yeah. So what, the, yeah, so they're saying that there is, they're, they're saying that there's no hard and fast rules for declaring a recession. Uh, you know, because this one rule that, you know, the two, two, uh, two, three month periods in a row where the economy is shrunk is just, it's just one way of gauging whether the economy is growing or not. They're saying that the sharp, uh, downturn that we saw in March, especially when it comes to jobs, is an indication that we are in a recession. And I gotta say, I agree with them. Um, mm. you know, you can't, lose a million jobs in a month and not say that we aren't heading towards or in a recession because all yeah. those people immediately their income has fallen uh they are now on government benefits they're not spending anything on anything extra all essential businesses are uh, non-essential businesses are closed down so there's a lot of money that's not moving around anymore and so anyone you don't have to be an economist to say that the economy has contracted and that we indeed are in a recession. So this so what does it mean, though? What does it mean to declare a recession? Like what? What now? Okay, they declared it, and what do we do? Or what happens? It, yeah, good question. I mean, it's it can be very controversial because it can scare people and it can okay, make people yeah. think, um, "Oh my goodness, what should I be doing? Am I going to get that job back that I've been furloughed from? I was told I was going to, and I'm, uh, you know, and it can oh, yeah, make people yeah. panic." Uh, it definitely can slow spending. So if you were planning on maybe doing a renovation in your home and you were going to go buy the materials, you may stop doing that. You might think, oh, I better oh, not do that. Not in a recession. Everybody knows that. Sort of like these common things like the people have learned over the decades. Like, oh, you don't do that in a recession. Like that kind of uh, anecdote, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, as soon as you hear the word recession, um, you start, you know, it's like, it's like getting on the scale and seeing you've gained 10 pounds. You're not going to eat yeah. the cake that day, right? You're just yeah. going <laughs> to give it up. So it's just, it's, or just it, one when, more, just one more cake. And then, yeah, you're going to be <laughs> controlled. And it's the same kind of, it's that mind shift all of a sudden when you, and I know, um, I spoke this, this week to, um, the host of one of the shows, uh, programs on AM 640. And she said the same thing. She goes, isn't this going to scare people? I think yeah. people need, I think people need to be scared. I think people, I think we need to be cautiously pessimistic uh, uh, i think we yeah. need to be cautiously pessimistic because you know w one million jobs lost in march the new numbers for the labor force survey comes out uh later in may for april and i am i am thinking that it's going to be similar type numbers for mm -hmm. april uh, because that was only half of march and a lot of people were still working at the beginning of april where did april go i i, I just you know have you seen this like march was like the slowest month ever and then april just disappeared did you feel that way too uh yeah i mean i just feel like since that day where you know we got the news that schools were going to be closed for a certain amount of time and that it was a global pandemic and then there was like five or six other stories that came out that same day i feel like since that day everything is just like a blur yeah, like, you blur. know, like I'm just blurred, you know, I, I, and because everything just happened so quickly and then we've just sort of eased into this new normal without really processing it. 
And because really... the the weeks are the same, like this week was very similar to me as the previous week. <laughs> I you... right? We were not like, oh, I went. What did you do? I went to this place. I went to this thing. Oh yeah, I had a. There was a wedding. There was a birthday party. We don't have these milestones. Yeah, there's no. I mean, I was recently reading um, uh, on Facebook. There's a mom's group I'm in. They're really upset that. The uh, Halton region has banned drive-by birthdays. So people were doing this thing where they were asking their friends' parents yeah. to drive by. And, you know, I get it. Like, you feel like you have a right to do that because you're still socially distancing. But I think the message that people are not getting is that this has nothing to do with your fun and entertainment. This has to yeah, do with keeping things as clamped down as possible. So you might think that your drive-by birthday is innocent. But you don't want to encourage someone to now have a bigger drive-by birthday and then a birthday where you give cake to people and then a birthday where people stop and talk to you on the driveway and then a birthday where people think, well, just come in the backyard for a sec. That's so right. It's, it, one leads to the next, right? Yeah, And, and exactly. also just getting in the car itself. Like just, I mean, uh, there there was another example of, of this kind of uh, thing where, you know, a runner uh, ru- runs all the way far away from someone to get around them on the street and, and the person yells out, you know, it's uh, it's six feet, not not six miles, right? Mm-hmm. Um, kind of antagonizing the person. And well, first of all, running uh, is different than walking, and people are you know uh, speaking moistly, if you will, at people mm-hmm. a lot quicker, all right. And so the six feet isn't enough. But also, it's like, well, why are you shaming someone for just protecting their space? And and so it's it's that kind of thing, like, oh, what? I'm just driving by. Yeah, but like you just said, it could lead to other things too. Yeah, it's. It, I think it's more about, and I I have seen it myself. Like my parents, I saw them yesterday for the first time in almost two months, and uh, we sat in the backyard. And I realized, you know, we kept six feet distance, but I realized that next time they come, I might make them a cup of tea, right? So it's like the yep. more you push your own limits, the more you realize because. They came, they sat in the backyard, I think 10 minutes, and they left. Nothing happened. No one got, you know, I don't know. But, you know, if nothing happens and you think, oh, next time we could push it a little bit more. So it's really... It normalizes it. That's what you're saying. 100%. Everything gets normalized. Absolutely. Because when you walk outside now, everything seems like the way that it was. So you're thinking, oh, wow, I can be outside. I can do things normally. Well, yeah. Well... The thing is, I feel like when you walk outside, nothing seems like it was. I feel like everything (laughs) is different. But when you start to do the things that you used to do in your, you know, pre-pandemic life, then you start to feel normal. Like if you've got a friend that comes over and you sit, you know, in the backyard and have, uh, you know, you have a, have a chat next time you might feel like, well, why don't you bring a drink and we'll have a drink. And then next time you think, oh, I'll uh, make some dinner, but I'll make sure that yours is separate. You know, it it just opens up. And my whole message is just stay home, just stay home. Stop trying to bend the rules. Stop trying to be someone who's trying to be clever about doing things and, and stop complaining about things like my grade eight, my daughter's grade eight graduation is canceled or my trip to so-and-so is canceled. Everybody is feeling that. You're not yeah. the only person. It's not That's like right. you individually are the only one suffering this pandemic. Every single person you talk to has missed a major event or is worried about, you know, not seeing their family or something that is just as devastating to them as your devastation is. And that's and my some message. people are isolated because they're at risk. And no, that's a very good message. Um, other people are isolated. They don't have anybody. They're immunocompromised, and they don't even have the option to do that. And they're scared, and they're at home by themselves. 
So mm-hmm. yes, yeah, so we're not going to get our luxuries and our events and and that you know, let's let's mourn those absolutely. But you know, have some perspective too when you're complaining. Let's reopen the economy and put you know um, compromised people at risk because I want to go get an ice cream cake from Dairy Queen or whatever, right? Exactly, exactly. So I wanted to finish this uh, podcast off, Bo, by just um, because we didn't really, um, uh, the C.D. Howe story, we didn't get to talk about it too much, but they define a recession in this case as a pronounced, persistent, and pervasive decline in aggregate economic activity. And that, I think, is pretty clear. That has, uh, you know, anyone who is anywhere can realize that things are not happening economically as they were mm-hmm. uh, six weeks ago. No one's going to restaurants or bars, no one's going to the mall, no one is, you know, planning holidays, all these extra things that bring money into the economy are just simply not happening. Yes, we're still grocery shopping and getting our cars fixed. uh, But that's not a big driver. The big drivers are um, all these all these extra things we do with our disposable income, right? And um, which we're saving now because we don't know what's going to happen. Or we don't even have it. Or we don't have it at all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We don't have it at all because we've lost our jobs. Uh, this week, uh, I'm really glad we got to talk about the CERB because I think that's a big issue. If you have had any problems with CERB or you have any questions about um, how uh, it might affect you next year, if you've received it and you feel like you shouldn't have, I'd really love to hear from anybody that's in that situation that's just nervous about um, their CERB payment and whether they actually are supposed to get it. You can write to us at uh, dearruby.com. So D-E-A-R-R-U-B-I.com. There's a button where you can submit um, a written question or you can record and send us a question. If you record it, we could actually add it into our podcast. And we would really appreciate any question that you have about personal finance or any uh, concerns you have about your money going forward. We'd really appreciate any of that, any of those questions, and we'll try to answer them to the best of our ability um, on on the podcast next week. Yeah, so you know, let's do this again next week. There's always something, right? There's always something that changes and and developments, and and you're you're definitely at the forefront uh, uh, talking about it. Uh, you're on the you're on the national this weekend, right? I was, yeah. On Friday, I was on the National. There's a personal finance panel, panel they do from time to time. And I was on there with um, Ian Hannah-Mansing was the host and Preet Banerjee was uh, my co-panelist. Uh, I've known him forever. Um, and He's rocking was, that beard. Yeah, I think a lot of guys are. A lot of guys are just like, <laughs> ah, this is the time to grow a good beard. Uh, right. Yeah, it was it was a really good panel. And, and, and the questions were, again, you know, about uh, CERB. The questions, again, were about... Um, specifically, there was one about um, uh, a mother who, a single mom who relies on her, her ex-partner giving uh, child benefits or rather um, support benefits, and she's not getting that because they've lost their job. So there's all these very specific situations that aren't being really addressed by, you know, government uh, websites because they're so specific. So if you've got one of those specific... Yeah, we want to hear that. Yeah, yeah situations. We want to hear that because not everybody's going to fit into the, the CERB box. Not everyone is going to have all the right tools to understand where they're supposed to get the right money. So we're here to help in, in, in any way that we can. All right. So uh, get in touch with us at DearRuby.com. You can write to us or send us a, a voice message. Um, we are going to be doing this every week during COVID-19, during the pandemic. If you have any questions, please send them our way. And we will talk to you next week. See you later. See ya.